Hey there, and welcome to Heroes of Marketing Cloud, the series where I interview fellow marketing cloud experts. I'm Anthony, I'm the co-founder and CEO of vSelect, and today I'll be interviewing Jackie Manny. Jackie is a Salesforce marketing champion. She's had a great career throughout financial services and other industries, and she's currently working at MediaMonks. Welcome. So, uh, hey, Jackie, welcome to Heroes of Marketing Cloud. Hey, Anthony, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. I can't say how excited I am. Um, and you've been doing so many interesting things across your career. And I thought that might be a good point to start for our audience today. So if you wouldn't mind, could you give us like a high level overview of your career up to this point? And then today you're at Media Monks. What does your day to day actually look like? Sure. So I might be dating myself here, but uh, in 2010, I completed my master's degree at the University of Florida. Go Gators, um, in international business. And the job market was pretty bad at the time. And my first salary job was actually working for a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual. So that was kind of my start uh, in the financial services industry by accident, I would say. And I got to do a wide range of stuff there, like insurance underwriting and client servicing, marketing, and eventually I became certified to handle investments as well. And I also was part of a pilot team for a new CRM at Northwestern Mutual, which somehow launched me into my first Salesforce job, which was in 2014. And I switched over to healthcare and I spent a year working for a subsidiary of United Health Group, building out Salesforce core as some may call it. And um, after about a year, I was recruited back to the financial services industry, which was around 2015, to work on um, another Salesforce core implementation at US Bank, which is headquartered here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I was there for about five years. And at some point, I took over the marketing cloud email program for the wealth management group, which was my first marketing cloud role. And then in 2019, I switched from, I switched over to the agency side or the Salesforce partner side of the ecosystem. And I was working as a senior marketing automation consultant on marketing cloud and Pardot implementations. And uh, in March of this year, I took the next step in my career as a Salesforce marketing cloud architect at MediaMonks, which is- Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. It's it's been fantastic. I really really love my team, and Media Monks has just been a really cool company to be a part of. I am still pinching myself that they let me in. Somehow I convinced them to hire me, but it's been great. And I think you asked, you know, what does a day to day look like for me? Mm-hmm. So most mornings I am joining, you know, whatever stand up calls for you know Scrum check ins for whatever clients I'm assigned to at the time. And then my day pretty much varies uh, after that. So sometimes I'm heads down working on, lately it's been a lot of data architecture and how we're going to line up implementations for clients. So working with my other delivery team members, Um, I just got my data cloud accreditation. So I spend a lot of time researching new Salesforce products and getting up to speed on those and then enabling the rest of our team members on how to use those. And then a little bit of my day, I get to do marketing cloud champions work like this. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. um, And obviously that's also one of the ways how we got to meet each other thanks to the Salesforce marketing champions program, which is fantastic. Go Gilda. Um, (laughs) But you've done some very interesting transitions in your career. from financial advisor all the way to uh, an architect, which is quite a technical role. I'd be very curious if you've had any tips or, you know, uh, maybe even words of caution, what people can expect if they're, um, if they want to transition from, from like an industry to more of a system integrator job, whether it's a consultant, consulting job or like an agency job. Do you have any insights there for us? It's not for everyone. So I, you know, I, I think that working for you know a company like like a bank or a healthcare company and doing Salesforce that has a lot of pros but also has some drawbacks there 
And then on the consulting side, the same thing. Um, you know, it's something different every single day. It the the pace is extreme on some days, but then the pace can just come to a screeching halt and you might have a week where you get to just focus on studying and working on certs. So that's been um, that's been a really cool thing for me. I don't mind the the ebbs and the flows of the schedule. No. It, it's always worked out in my favor, but I think that some folks may not enjoy that. So that would be my my word of caution is um, if you're someone who is considering a move to like the partner side, I would talk to some people who have maybe experienced both sides of you know what it means to work for systems integrator, what it means to work, what I would call like the brand side. And, uh, you know, just ask them about, hey, what what do you like about each one? Why did you switch? And do you ever want to switch back? Right. But but you like the variety. I do. I, I really like being a consultant. I like getting to work on different accounts. And I I think it's given me a lot of opportunities in my career that mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily see as options in my previous roles. That's so cool. So of all those marketing cloud projects you've done so far, which one stood out? Which one, which one did you think was very interesting? <laughs> well, that's not fair. I think they're all interesting, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's one that might not sound very interesting to folks because it wasn't necessarily like super technical, but I worked with a tile company and they had set up some partnerships with a couple of Instagram and TikTok influencers. And I mean, big ones, like big, like Grammy winning people that would make really oh, wow. cool videos. And uh, we came in, you know, as part of their swipe up campaign. So we set up cloud page and we also set up uh, Facebook lead capture integration with marketing cloud. And then we were able to use Journey Builder to kick off an email series. And we also used that to actually push the leads into Sales Cloud, which I wouldn't, I'm not going to get into. It's not normally maybe something you would do, but we had a limitation with the Salesforce team was kind of at capacity and didn't have bandwidth to create a different process. So for me, it was just really exciting to see all of those you know, fundamental capabilities of marketing cloud being used, I think, in their truest form and getting to see just that whole circular process from end to end. I mean, watching the leads get created and watching them get worked and go into different stages of the journey, that was really fun. Plus, TikTok is fun. Was there some kind of TikTok integration there or was it more just on, on the brand side that it just happened to do Legion via TikTok as well? It it wasn't really on my team side. That was handled pretty much prior to us getting involved. You know, we were just there to create the landing pages and create any of the the data capturing that needed to be done. Got it. Yeah, because I recall at Salesforce Connections, which is just behind us, um, there was even this TikTok boot. It was kind of interesting, but. Um, I think with the audience that we have today here, we can definitely go into some technicalities at any point, if you like, because um, okay. for instance, you alluded to, to saving leads in, in sales cloud. Um, and I, I, I would kind of, I would be kind of curious to hear actually, like, what was the idea behind that? Um, and then link to that, maybe the bit of the broader question, because you, you've had exposure to marketing cloud, but also to core, mm -hmm. um, Usually, I find that gives people a wider view and, and they're more informed when it comes to taking architectural decisions. So, yeah, if you have some insight there, whether it's the specific setup at this customer where the leads went into core in sales cloud or mm -hmm. in general, some things you've learned working cross cloud, I suppose. So, so a couple things, um, you know, when we were capturing the emails directly in Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and then sending a triggered email because it was a request for a coupon. And then we use Journey Builder to actually force the lead to get created in Sales Cloud. I would say that that's not always the best way to do it, you know, for two reasons. Because number one, when you send that triggered email out, you don't have the Salesforce core subscriber key 
which I like to keep the system pretty clean. So we effectively were creating, I mean, intentional duplicates, which you have to create a backend process to get that all cleaned up at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So that was something that we we recognized in advance and we were willing to take that on because we also were aware of the volume of leads, which is the second thing. Um, if you're gonna use Journey Builder to push a bunch of data into Sales Cloud, that can really blow up some of your API limits. So it's not always a great solution because that can hurt you on the sales cloud side. But again, because we were very comfortable with the volume, we knew what it was going to be. We knew what our limits were. We felt that it was either this and then clean up the dupes on the back end or not get to use the technology at all because there was just no option at that moment on the sales cloud side there just wasn't any bandwidth. So we wanted to make sure that the marketing team could still hit their goals. Yeah, that's it's very interesting what you say because I think there are some default best practices, but ultimately architectural decisions are are driven by certain business needs. It sounds like in this case, it was more important to get the leads into marketing cloud right away because then you can do triggered sense and that, that allows you to do immediate responses. And then maybe for the audience, for those who don't know, normally you would probably sync the leads to sales cloud and sync them over through marketing cloud connect, connect but that, that takes about seven to eight minutes. It was, was that the primary driver for, am I guessing right? Essentially. In our situation, it was going to be even longer of a lag. And the, since the use case was a coupon that people were requesting, we felt that it was absolutely necessary that they get that coupon instantly, you know, within two minutes or less. Because I think yeah. that's what we all expect. You know, when we when we request something online, we expect instant responses. Yeah, everyone wants instant gratification these days, don't they? So no, absolutely. An autoresponder where you would have to wait for half an hour, that just feels like a like a broken process. Um, I didn't realize, by the way, that Journey Builder um contact creations i guess they're called um because i know there's a component for that i didn't know that counts towards your your api limits um i know we just created at these like we just created a component um for engage um which um it sends an api call out of marketing cloud but it actually doesn't count toward the limit um so with, with this it doesn't count towards the, the marketing cloud api limits when you do contact updates or contact creations in journey builder don't quote me on that because this was years and years ago and that oh, stuff okay. is all the time. So so I know at the time it was something that we needed to take into account. Whether um what I know is the outcome is that we we felt that the volume that was coming in mm-hmm. was not going to affect anything. So yeah. I'd have to look that up though about what the the answer is, you know, 2023 because we we have a release, you know, around the corner. I can never keep up. Yeah, no, and it has actually changed now that you mention it. It's it, that's that kind of rings a bell. I know, you know, for the audience again, um, marketing cloud wasn't Salesforce from the get go. It used to be something else called Exact Target, and so it took a while for Salesforce to more and more integrate it, which is I would say even still an ongoing process today. But um, but you are absolutely right. API calls actually even going to Salesforce counted towards your limits initially. So that might've um, driven the decision. Fascinating how uh, how that kind of stuff has changed. Uh, another thing that, um, you know, you've been a um, uh, an interesting content creator to put it one way on the web. And um, a little birdie at Connections told me that one of your most successful blogs is one about marketing cloud permission. So can you, um, uh, you know, can you educate us a bit on, uh, what should people know about marketing cloud permissions and um, and also where can they find the blog? Yeah. Um, okay. So the blog is on a prior company that I worked for named Horizontal Digital. It's on their website and mm-hmm. I believe it's called Marketing Cloud Permissions Part One. So the first thing I can tell you about it is I still get emails from people asking when part two is coming out and why it hasn't come out yet. And if you must know, I, uh, so this was like, I think, right, you know, COVID had started and then my, my workload got 
pretty much over capacity, I think, up until the point in, in late 2021 when I had a baby. And then I went on maternity leave and, you know, life happened. So that's that's mm. why part two did not come out in a timely fashion. Part two still is very much on my mind because I have a lot more thoughts on, you know, custom permissions and how to layer just smaller permission features instead of trying to recreate an entire massive uh and what i mean by permissions really is roles in marketing cloud but um where can they find that so i told you it was on horizontal's mm -hmm. website yeah and, and are, are there some some tips and tricks some, someone who's newer to marketing cloud should keep in mind so what's what's the essence <laughs> of of the article yeah. So, well, the hardest thing for me was because I came from a Salesforce background, I was used to Salesforce sales cloud permission sets right. and you could combine every permission set in sales cloud in the world. And all they will ever do is possibly add on to the amount of permissions that user has and marketing cloud. It took me a minute to figure out that this was not how the roles worked in marketing cloud. And the blog helps people differentiate between, you know, which of these roles you really have to keep an eye out for, because a lot of them have these small areas where they're denying permissions for something. And when a deny permission is compiled or combined with um, an allow permission, marketing cloud is kind of the opposite of sales cloud. Marketing cloud is going to go with the most restrictive permission. And I think, you know, so many people that I have trained on marketing cloud, they've gone, oh, can you set me up as a user? And I'm like, yep, I'm going to give you the admin and the marketing cloud admin roles, which are pretty standard for most people I work with. A, a lot of my clients, it gives them heartburn to be handing out permissions with the label of administrator and marketing cloud administrator. And unfortunately, that's just one of the easiest, fastest options that Marketing Cloud offers to, to give people the access they need. Um, but I've had so many colleagues like go and they're like, oh, you forgot to add all of these on my account. And they went in, they checked the boxes and then they call me and they say, well, I'm locked out now. I can't even get into this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's because you should not have added those other those other roles to your profile. They actually took away access that the administrator role had. So my advice to folks that are getting started with that is less is a lot more when it comes to those roles. And my second piece of advice was do, that you can edit some of these roles in Marketing Cloud. Some of them you cannot. About half of them you can. I'm talking about the default ones that come as soon as you sign up for Marketing Cloud. Don't go crazy messing around with those. The reason I say that is because every time Marketing Cloud has a release or new features, Marketing Cloud will automatically make updates where they need to, to make sure that their features are enabled. So trying to clone like an existing role in Marketing Cloud, I'm going to say that's just off off the bat, like not maybe my favorite plan because it's not protected for future releases. And then the second thing is I made some comments in that blog about where I thought would be a good opportunity to customize a little tiny bit on one of the out of the box roles. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go bananas trying to, to turn those into something that they're not meant to be. Yeah, for sure. I wish I had the article at hand when I started playing around with marketing cloud because I, I ran into exactly the same kind of issues. Um, and uh, I think it's a good you know piece of advice that was there. So make sure to put the blog in the um, you know in the, um, the description of um, this video. Um, so you discussed a little bit about marketing cloud itself, but obviously a big part of your experience is centered around financial services. Um, are there still some things that um, you know, unique considerations that you people have to take into account when collecting subscriber data in that industry. I, I think, you know, the industry as a whole is one of the most regulated, most strict industries right up there with healthcare. And sometimes it, I would say it's even stricter than healthcare for good reason. So, you know, considerations that I always think about 
this is not necessarily like a unique consideration, but less is more when you're capturing the subscriber data. I think marketers especially, like we want all the data at our fingertips because we might use it at some point. But we also have to we also have to consider, you know, being reasonable and what how much can we effectively manage? Because the more data we collect is the more data that we have to keep track of. And I think that you should go into it knowing, you know, what are your overall goals with the subscriber data that you're capturing? You should know when you're setting this up ahead of time, you know, what are we trying to do here? What's our goal? And how do we measure this? And those kind of questions will get you the right answers that will suggest which data you really do need and what's more important because grabbing nothing is not a great plan and grabbing everything is also not my favorite. Yeah. And I think as, I've actually even written about that myself, how um, a lot of people treat marketing cloud sort of as our data warehouse and they just ditch everything in it. And sometimes because because they have some technical limitations with the rest of their IT landscape, but usually it's better to to have a very well conceived subset of your data to bring into marketing cloud. But I think here you're you're even taking a step back further and thinking even about the collection of data. Have you ever countered like um, customers collecting certain bits of data that were just never useful or that like never really got used? Maybe unengaged sub subscribers, those sort of things? <laughs> I've definitely, definitely seen folks. I think, I think most people do, if, if we're being honest, um, we think we're going to need it. And, and it turns out that we've got a placeholder for it, but we don't really have a great plan of how it gets populated. So I've seen that one, I would say the most of where we, we create all these fields in a data extension, or we create all these possibilities of where this data could be captured. But at the end of the day, it's not being maintained on a regular basis and it's not being refreshed. So even if we did want to use the data, I start to lose faith in, in you know, how trustworthy it is because it could be pretty old and it it's probably not complete. For sure. And when you say maintain, do you have some uh, examples of like what, what kind of maintenance that you do you have in mind? Are there certain processes, automations you would set up for that? Well, I think, you know, the example that I'm thinking about is, oh, we had this one form and this one campaign where we collected, you know, eight different data points and fields. And so this one we've never collected before. So we went in we set it up as an attribute and we put it in our whole contact model. and we never went out and like regularly collected that information for people in other campaigns or at, you know, we never tried to fill that in after the fact. We just had this one tiny campaign's worth of data, you know, with the data point and that was it. Right. And it never got touched since then. Right. It was so just sitting there. Yeah. It was sitting there and we set up all the, you know, we set up everything for it, like in the contact model and, and then I'm thinking we went through all of that just for this one data point that we never used again. And so when I think about, you know, is there an automation or best practice, it's not necessarily, you know, refreshing it, but it's more so when we created that campaign, thinking, you know, outside of the campaign to say, is this the data point that we're going to use in the future? Is it going to be ongoing? Is this something we want to go back and collect from subscribers we already have on file? And, mm. and having answers to those kind of questions, I think, would really affect the architecture and the decision process of how we went and set it up for that particular campaign. Because maybe we wouldn't have gone through all of that if we weren't going to use that data point on a large scale. Uh -huh. But but in that for that campaign specifically, and I don't know if you can share what, what data point it was, but for that campaign specifically, you needed the data point, but not for any other campaign ever after. Am I understanding that correctly? <laughs> well, if you asked me, I didn't think we needed it at all, but that was just my personal opinion. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, because I can see that maybe, you know, maybe for some um, campaigns, for instance, I remember a campaign in automotive where um, we would uh, award some prize, right? And um, I think it was a survey and there was a prize associated with it. So at the end of the campaign, people could indicate what kind of prize they would prefer. 
Mm-hmm. And that data itself was uh, interesting to us because those prices were actually accessories. So that, that also gave a little bit of market feedback on those accessories in, in question. So I would maybe categorize it as temporal data or ephemeral data, if you prefer, prefer that phrase, but it would absolutely not make sense to add that to your you know, um, actual contact model or your actual data model. But that's also the beauty of marketing cloud that you can create these temporal data extensions and have that flexibility at, at a campaign level, which is much harder to do in, and even in Salesforce core, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Nice. Um, let's talk about another, um, you know, part piece of the uh, Salesforce family that's getting pushed very heavily these days, and it was all around at uh, Connections again. Uh, Salesforce Data Cloud, formerly known as Salesforce CDP. Um, what do you think about about um, Data Cloud in general, and then also how it pertains specifically to those industries that you're so experienced in? I think it was, I think it was, you know, built for these kind of industries, especially financial services. So, you know, in my experience, I worked at an institution that did banking as well as investments. And I think what a lot of people don't realize or understand if they haven't worked in the industry is that these, these um, services like investments, that's governed by a completely different body of of laws and they have their own legal ramifications and requirements versus banking. And so a lot of times there there's so many different systems where all of these these actions are being performed whether it's for a loan or a mortgage or a credit card, checking account and then you've got a totally other system for you know a retirement savings account or a college savings account that you're setting up these happen in so many different places and these teams are going in so many systems throughout the day i have seen it to where you know the insurance application somebody had like uh, a number at the end of you know jackie many the third and i have seen this entered so many different ways what you know when it was the insurance application and then it was the system where the retirement account was held and then it was the crm and you know these all would merge eventually and you'd end up in the crm with like seven versions of this person and it drove me insane this was back at my first financial services job because it just someone took you know a paper application and it all mattered how they hand keyed in the you know the fourth um and so data cloud to me is the answer to, to that that big problem I had, you know, we're forced, we have to work in so many different tools, especially in financial services. Like I said, just the the way that this is obviously just the behaviors, what you're doing, you know, transactionally on a day-to-day basis, that's, we have to do those in different systems, as well as the fact that different laws require different things for each of these product lines. And because of that, we're merging data from so many places None of these systems, you know, they don't set up just basic profile information. They don't even have the same field set up as we do in other systems. So when you're trying to push that all into one place, the answer I do think, you know, is data cloud and the ability to harmonize these into a unified profile is going to really help people relax and and help them, you know, get the right data so that they can send the right campaigns. Yeah, and I just realized that maybe not everyone on you know who's listening to this uh, already knows what data cloud is. So, would you mind just in a few sentences um, describe how do you see data cloud, and then given the given the challenges that you've described with especially financial services having so many different applications for different lines of business, um, you know how what's the use case there for data cloud? How does it fit in into that puzzle? Oh gosh, uh, so you're going to ask me. Wow, I feel like the Salesforce gods really would want to. This is putting me to the test, like to explain data cloud. But uh, ultimately, uh, the way I'll translate it in in very very simple terms is that we have the opportunity to to go to a, a variety of data sources, and then we can ingest them into a Salesforce core account. You can do that right in your own Salesforce core account. You can have a separate core account that just is for data cloud behaviors, either way, you can ingest them all in one place. And then you can look at the data that you're getting and you can start mapping it to 
each different place and sort of find a connection between them. And uh, the big caveat there is data cloud does not deduplicate your bad data. I think that that was like the biggest aha moment for me when I learned if if you think that you're going to get data cloud and it's going to just solve all of your duplicate data in your source systems, that's not what's going on there. What data cloud does is it gives you it gives you um, an interface where you can collect all your different data sources and you can tie them together and say how they each relate to each other and you can create this unified profile. It's not going to go right back to your sources. It's not going to send the unified profile back there and clear out what's in there. That all stays. But the unified profile will allow you to identify that, okay, this from here and this from here, this is all the same person. And the the preferred email address for this person is this one. And and then kind of collect all these attributes together. And there's a couple of different things you can do with that. Uh, You can use the segmentation feature within the tool. You can use some of the insights there. You can create a lot of very fancy, fancy formulas and insights really to your heart's desire um, to, to create segments for your marketing campaigns. One of the use cases that I see and that I think is pretty relevant to the financial services is um, using that to leverage consent management object in sales cloud. Because I think a big thing that data cloud can allow us to do is you know, once we're creating that unified profile, relating that back to the consent management and the right records I think that's a huge one because privacy is so important and honoring our subscribers' preferences, you know, is if we can't do that, then I I would say I don't know what else we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the I think the Salesforce gods uh will be very pleased with the explanation. <laughs> Thank you for uh for humoring me. But I think it, it helps for for people who are listening to have that um you know step back as well, just what it means, because it's very easy to get um lost in the world of Salesforce and all the abbreviations and jargon that we're that we've gotten accustomed to over many years in our experience, of course. Um what you said, I think, about the consent is, is something that's easily overlooked. I think when it comes to data cloud, most of the conversation is usually focused on unification of the data, having it in one place. Um when when you think about the policies, I was while you were explaining that another question came up. Um, I wonder if you've seen it. Uh, maybe the answer is no, but sometimes I've seen amongst financial services, amongst um, actually healthcare or you know or the life sciences industry as a whole as well, that these organizations have certain uh, sender policies. And what I mean with that is that they also have a a legal or a compliance limitation to how many email sends they can do in a given period, where it's you know, it's not going to be like retail that it's within a week's time frame, but maybe measured in months. Is that something that resonates or that sounds familiar? You know, it's been it's been some years since I've had to. So I've I've sat and taken my series seven, which is effectively well, it's like a seven hour light uh, seven hour exam. It's awful, but um, (laughs) essentially a stockbroker's license. And it's what allows you to work with investments. And in terms of the the legality of what you can send to people, I'm not aware of a specific time limitation, you know, how many you can send over a given period of time. I think that that is mostly handled, you know, company or firm by firm. And it really has to go back to like, what what did the customer agree to when they gave their information to that firm? What are their expectations? And then, you know, what options are they provided with if they want to change any of those communication preferences? That seems to vary just based on each firm, but I'm not aware of like an overarching law that, that says certain firms can only send a certain amount of emails. Yeah, and, and maybe it's more of a, an internal compliance thing here that I'm pointing at or that, that we've encountered. Um, but I, I can imagine, though, that especially the company that you were describing earlier in financial services, where you have these different lines of businesses that operate fully differently, they have different law applied to them, that um, it, it's also very hard to track which marketing team has already sent what to um, to which customers. So that might be a central part of the problem, too, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that that is something that has uh, obviously perked our interest as well when we think about things like um, uh, frequency uh, sending um, through uh, and you know as you know our our platform allows us to let let people sort of um, set frequencies on how often they want to send, but also they can actually do this across business units um, and maybe at some point even across marketing cloud orgs because exactly of the problem you described. Um, what did you do, um, or was that something you were exposed to, like when when marketers were sending from different lines of business, or even different, whether it's different marketing cloud BUs or different marketing cloud orgs? Was it a a problem you ever had to uh, face? I would say it's something I've been exposed to. So when I worked at a, you know, or I've worked with clients too at other institutions where they have different lines of business, but they're sharing a marketing cloud org it's often different marketing teams that are in charge of each group. And, you know, depending on, depending on the policies and, okay, does, does this marketing campaign get priority over this one? So there was always like an internal weekly meeting that I was part of where we would all discuss our audiences and what campaigns needed to go out. That was just the best way. We had a master schedule and and if there, you know, if it got to a point where somebody had to make a decision, I, it wasn't necessarily me. I would just stand for my business line and say what our needs were, and then let let the higher ups duke it out. Yeah, that's going to be my follow up question. How how does the prioritization happen? Is it, um, you know, yeah, I don't know how that how that process works. If you could walk us through it, I think it's interesting. I'm sure it varies, you know, across different firms, but I would say, generally speaking, like whose campaign can, you know, has the possibility to generate the most revenue and what's the margin on that. And I think whoever has the best answer to that question is probably going to win the argument. So it sounds like almost have to make a a mini um, internal business case to get your campaign prioritized in, in that circumstance. I've had to do that more than once. Yeah, super interesting. Um, okay, I want to uh, shift gears back a little bit to to the community itself. Thanks for um, you know sharing those insights about financial services and and what's happening in the Salesforce side, specifically for the marketing cloud community. Um, maybe a bit of a, a tongue in cheek question, but what do you see as the biggest challenge that nobody's talking about? You know, as far as like, what's the biggest challenge? Gosh, I don't know the answer to that, but a challenge that's on my mind right now that nobody talks about is distributed marketing. This is a product that I I see a lot, surprisingly. And the most I see it is with financial services clients that are using it. And, and the trouble is that there's not a lot out there uh, in terms of documentation, in terms of demonstrations or or example use cases. I think what's out there on Trailhead is a great place to start, but I've had so many colleagues even who have wanted to shadow my distributed marketing implementations because they've said, I've, I've gone through the Trailheads. I still don't really understand what that product does and, and what it, like what- And again, can, can, you, can you quickly define for us what is distributed marketing and, and specifically in Salesforce, sure. what does it look like? Sure. So, and I'll give you a translation because I've I've heard from folks that the the example on Trailhead is is not the easiest to follow. But um, the distributed marketing feature it it lives in Sales Cloud, and so it's a product that you pay extra for through your Marketing Cloud account. So you need to have Marketing Cloud and you need to have some version of Salesforce core, whether it's financial services cloud, sales cloud, service cloud. Uh, you need to you need to have both. They need to be connected. And what it does is allows your marketing team to create emails that that live in Marketing Cloud. You create them practically the same way and you put them in a journey. But then you spend the bulk of your time actually in Sales Cloud Once that journey is activated, you set it up in the distributed marketing app and it allows Salesforce users to go, you know, go add their leads, their contacts in Salesforce. So they're staying in the tool that they know and they love and they're able to build campaigns 
and either you could send them either what's called a quick send email, which is kind of like it sounds like you have your list and then you can preview the email that the marketing cloud team built. You can look at that right in sales cloud and you can say, send it to my list. And in some cases you can even customize different pieces of it. And then you can also send, you know, full on full out journeys that the marketing team has created. And, um, the reason this is cool, especially in financial services, is because like in the wealth management space, you'll have bankers and advisors who have their own book of business. They'll want to reach out to clients and they'll want to reach out to leads, but we don't want them doing that in Outlook necessarily because like I said before, there are so many compliance laws about what you can and cannot say that the advisors, they need to be using like pre-approved content. And the best way to do that is for the marketing team to go through their normal compliance process of getting the content approved. They create the materials and then they make it available in Salesforce to send. And this way, nobody has to worry that something was misstated or you know potential legal loopholes or anything like that. And then because it's all in Salesforce and it's not one person's Outlook inbox, this allows us to use the marketing cloud preference center that the team is already using and maintaining preferences that way. Because when people spin off and try to send marketing emails through their own Outlook inbox, they don't have the ability to check the person's preferences and and opt-out settings that are stored in marketing cloud but those are still marketing emails. So that's another great reason that that distributed marketing really works for firms that are set up like that. Yeah, super interesting. It's almost like a way for the organization to better control what email gets sent out by by individual representatives, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I know exactly what you mean because I'm thinking back about a recent example where our bank um, or, you know, uh, the banker of our bank sent me an email, um, but it was like clearly pre-formatted and it was to send certain documents. So I guess that's because they can only share that if it's if it's that tracked way versus Outlook. I'm assuming they, they used Outlook. Um, and to, to what extent is it really about defining the, the, there's a part of it which is, has to do with choosing whom you can send to, as you mentioned, and there are even some opt-ins and preferences come into play, but... There's also a content piece. Is is the um, is the idea behind the distributed marketing that is going to be used, for instance, by sales reps? And this is the layout. You can't change it at all. Or are there even use cases where maybe like a local marketing team can still change a banner or or that sort of thing? Yeah, good question. So, a lot of what you'll see in the Salesforce training materials about distributed marketing really focuses heavily on that ability to customize have letting the so what the marketer does in marketing cloud is they'll set up they'll create a template and they might have you know a bunch of content variations that they plug in and make available and then the end user in the distributed marketing user can use salesforce to mix and match different content options that's absolutely, you know, probably what you'll hear the most from Salesforce is, is how flexible this product is and these features. And yeah, that's when you would see, you know, like in a franchise situation where you've got a local marketing team that doesn't, you know, a local marketing team doesn't have an army of this person's the email expert and this person's a social media expert. A lot of times it's like one person who is handling all of these things. And you'll hear the concerns about if it's like a franchise and, oh, you know, how do we make sure that the voice and the brand are being protected when we can't train all the franchisees? So we can make that content available through distributed marketing and marketing cloud. And those are great scenarios of where the flexibility is phenomenal. In financial services, I would say that I don't see a lot of financial services clients utilizing the flexibility you know they're using the other some of the other great features of distributed marketing less so what do you you think is the reason for that compliance so compliance almost always has to pre-approve any emails that are sent out and so 
allowing like big open text boxes and the ability to just edit whatever you want, that's going to give compliance like a major heartburn. And that's kind of a big no-no in that space. So, so those are clients where I don't see utilizing like a, a lot of the open text blocks and major variety options. Like I said, that's just because that's not really what we need out of the tool in that industry. Super interesting. There's maybe a good uh, leeway into something else I wanted to explore with you, which is the relationship between the more creative marketers and their marketing automation team, technical marketing team, uh, maybe even IT in some organizations. Um, and, and you know, as I'm saying that, it comes to mind that you have the same dichotomy sometimes between the brand you're working for and you might have as, you know, being on the agency side now. So if you if you reflect on that, whether it was why you were still working for a brand or now, you know, as a as a, at an agency, um, what are some best practices that you found for that collaboration? Ooh, some best practices that you know I've seen really, I think they start with just a mutual ground of respect and acknowledgement that each person has a role in this process and that it's it's critical. So I think by sharing, you know, what your goals are up front and sharing what the and, and learning what the other team's goals and maybe their priorities, their obstacles, by getting an understanding of that, I think that allows us to just be more empathetic. And I think that having more empathy it builds a lot more trust within the group because when we're collaborating with all these teams, we have to trust each other. So if, if the marketing team has these goals and we're waiting on IT to set something up for us or we can't get the data we need, um, it can just build up like a lot of frustration. So I think you know, understanding and being transparent about what it is that is the holdup and, you know, what are everyone's priorities and trying to be really understanding of those helps us work to, together better as a group. And then also learning how to break our goals apart sometimes and be flexible. I think in consulting, this is like one of the biggest things that I, at first I didn't I'm like, but that's the wrong way to do it. Why would we set it up that way? Well, that's the only way we can make progress. And so sometimes we have to look at our goal and say, okay, if we can't get the dream state, which is I want my transactional, you know, I've got a system where payments are being made and I want that, I want that information and I want that to go into Salesforce and I want it to create a whole subscriber record and I want all that stored. And then I want it pushed into marketing cloud so that I can send their receipt. And I want that all to happen within like 90 seconds. It could, but sometimes the, the team that's handling that, that, um, you know, transactional system where the payments are being held sometimes to get that team to put the data that we want in Salesforce, that might not be an immediate option for us. And so we have to say, do you want to scrap the whole project? Or maybe we talk about a temporary approach until we can get the data to flow the, the way we want it. So I, I do a lot of that day to day um, in trying to, to get creative about problem solving and, and thinking about things in phases, not necessarily in just like a what's the perfect way to solve this problem. And it's either that or nothing. It can be an interesting friction between those two kind of teams. Um, luckily, I think more and more technical marketers are really of the mind and heart that they want to enable their colleagues and really want to help them. Um, but all too often there can be frustration because these teams, they work at two different speeds. And what I mean with that is that they really have their own like workflows and backlogs. As one as one customer once told me, you know, our IT team keeps telling us it'll be in the next sprint. Um, that's because they have the other, other priorities. So um no, super interesting. Um, just looking at the uh, at the time, Jackie. Um, I think you've been super wonderful. And maybe before we uh, part ways, I was wondering if you had any advice for marketing cloud newbies, or you know, let's just say Salesforce newbies, since you've worked across so many clouds anyway, um, or even marketers in the early stage of their careers. Like, what would you tell these people if they want to 
um, follow down your path? I met someone a couple summers ago. It was a few months after the marketing champions had been announced. And this person reached out to me on LinkedIn. She said, I don't, I don't like my job. I, I keep hearing about Salesforce. And so I have gone and she said, I've sent a message to every single marketing champion that got announced. So I think there were 120 of us. She said, I sent a message on LinkedIn to every single one of you. And I'm setting, you know, if you're willing, I'd like to set up time to talk to you about your career and your, your growth and, you know, how you got started in this industry. And she put in the work, she went and she met with as many people as she could. And it just so happened that at the Salesforce career fair, like a few months later, she attended, it was a virtual career fair. And she stopped in to the booth that I was working at. And I introduced her to a colleague and she got a job out of it. And all because I said, hey, I met her. She messaged me on LinkedIn, you know, over the summer last year, and I really liked her. She's, she just, she's very driven and she's working really hard and she wants this. So my advice to folks is, uh, you know, use the marketing champions community to your advantage. All of us that are part of it, we wrote essays and we signed up to say, hi, I want to be involved in the community and I want to help people. And we asked to be part of this group and we get rewarded with plushies and stickers and lots of prizes. So you're not bothering us. You, this is what we signed up for. And we want to, we want to hear from you. We want to see how we can make this community better. So my advice is, is to, you know, do what my friend did and, and reach out to people and, and show your interest and, make a statement of what it is that you want in your career. And by, by deciding that, I think it, it's all the more likely to come true. That is such a wonderful story. And I uh, appreciate you sharing that with us and all the other advice and, you know, bits of information you've been sharing throughout this whole conversation. I really value your time. You're an inspiration to the community. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Anthony. I would say the same to you. Um, it's just been an absolute pleasure to, that you invited me here today. And DE Select is just such a cool organization. And I'm lucky that I get to be part of this, this group. Thank you for watching Heroes of Marketing Cloud. I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date about future interviews with fellow marketing champions.